Well, good morning. I know most of you know that I started a new diet while I was away. If you uh, follow on me on Facebook from time to time. So uh, we, uh, I've got to work on that today. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing that diet. Well, uh, I looked up this week on the um, Cleveland Clinic, and many of you have heard it. I've, I've heard it for many, many years. The Seven Warning Signs of Cancer. Most of us have heard that. That's been around for quite a few years. And uh, here they are. A change in bowel or bladder habits. A sore that will not heal. Unusual bleeding or discharge. A hardening or a lump in the breast or elsewhere in the body. Indigestion or difficulty in swallowing. An obvious change in a wart or a mole or a nagging cough or hoarseness that will not go away. Now those are the seven warning signs of cancer, meaning that if you've got some of those symptoms, then you most assuredly need to get checked out. It could be a sign of a deeper problem. Now you know, our time ran out on us. Last week we were talking about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, and we took that opportunity to really examine the whole idea of sin. And so we're going to try to finish that and close up with repentance uh, this morning. And so I I wanted to give you that example of the seven warning warning signs of cancer because when we talk about sin, we need to understand the nature of sin. Sin really has two parts to it. There is the condition that you and I are sinners. That is a condition we have inwardly that we are born with. You know, the Bible says that we are, have all sinned. And Romans 5.12 says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so we have an inward condition called our sin nature. We are all sinners. You've heard me say this before, probably heard other preachers say it, and it's a very good point to remember that you do not, you are not a sinner because you commit a sin. You commit sin because you are a sinner. Uh, When a person has these seven symptoms of cancer, they don't have cancer because they're bleeding. They're bleeding because they have cancer. They don't have cancer because they've got a cough. They have a cough because they have cancer. And so uh, that's the reason why if, you know, we're going to go back through very quickly some of these sins that the Bible mentions. And if you get the idea, well, I'm just going to stop doing these things and I'll be okay. That would be like a person with cancer saying, I'm going to stop coughing and don't take these cough drops. And and I'm going to stop coughing and that's going to cure my problem. That wouldn't have anything to do with curing your problem because your problem is much deeper than your cough. Your cough is simply a symptom of your real problem. And taking a cough drop is not going to help you uh, any more than stopping some activity or some habit you have is going to change who you are on the inside. So we need to understand that. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon, he was a great English preacher of years gone by, said, As the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic... So does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, 
so abundantly there that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. So, we need to understand that about sin as we talk about sin and, and we kind of move toward this idea that we're trying to pin down before we move on through our study in the book of Acts that Paul shared with the governor Felix, that idea of righteousness, of self-control, and of the judgment to come. And let's make sure we understand that it is not your actions that make you a sinner. You sin and you could perform those actions because on the inside you are a sinner. And that's why, again, simply turning over a new leaf, simply stopping doing some things and starting doing other things is not going to change your condition of being a sinner. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born anew from within. It is not our habits or our actions we must change. It is who we are. That is, and we cannot change that. Only God can change that. Only the Holy Spirit can change that. However, and this is what we're going to finish up with this morning, once that change occurs, if you have been saved, just like if you've, uh, you've been cured of your cancer and you've still got a cough, then there's, there's, there's must be a problem. If your cancer is gone but you're still coughing or if your cancer is gone and you've still got that lump in your breast or you've still got that wart that's got out of control, then you have to wonder, is my cancer really gone? I need to look at my symptoms. And these passages that we read last week from uh, 1 Corinthians and also we didn't get around to Galatians but we're going to get there today in Galatians chapter 5. Remember that Paul wrote those passages not to pagans, not to non-Christians. He wrote those passages to believers. Because remember that the world, and and I'm, I'm guilty of this as many of us are, We try to preach righteousness to the world thinking that if they stop being sinful and mean, then they're going to change. They're not. You see, the world has to be who they are. The world is going to sin because the world is made up of sinners. And the reason Paul wrote these passages to the church at Corinth and he wrote the other passage we're going to read to the church at Galatia was because he was writing to people whose testimony was, we are new creations in Christ. We've been saved. And Paul is saying, okay, just like if you've been cured of your cancer, you shouldn't have that nagging cough anymore. If you've been cured of cancer, that mold should be gone. That, that, that terrible wart should be gone. If you are a new creature in Christ then these habits, these activities should not characterize your life. And if they do, Paul said, there is a problem. So let's jump on in and try to finish this uh, this morning. And you'll remember we spoke about the call to righteousness that the Bible gives us. And we won't go back through that in First Peter uh, and Hebrews that, that we're to pursue uh, holiness and that we're to be holy because God is holy. And remember in Romans, we recognize that we are all sinners. The Bible says we are. That is our nature. And only through the blood of Christ can our nature be changed. And God changes us from the inside out. And you'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, there we saw where uh, the Lord gave us, a li- the Lord through Paul, I should say, Paul gave us a list of sins. And he was talking to uh, the believers in Corinth. And you'll remember he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we went through all of those uh, last Sunday and we talked about each one of them individually. And remember, Paul gave the Corinthians that list of sinful activities to make sure they were checking their symptoms. He said, listen, I know that you say that you follow Christ. That is your testimony. I baptized some of you. I was there. I preached to you. And I know that you claim that you follow Christ, but I I just want you to have a little checkup here, Paul says. I don't want you to be deceived and think you're healthy when you're not. And Paul said, here's a list of activities that if you are involved in, then that is a problem. Because Paul said people who live like this on a continual basis are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as Christians, we should examine ourselves. The world is going to live like that. The the things that we mentioned uh, that I just read through 1 Corinthians, all you have to do uh, is turn on the television, you'll see every one of them. Well, you ain't even got to do that. Just go to work Monday morning, you'll see every one of them. Uh, Just go to town on Friday night, Saturday night, you'll see every one of them at work. That is the world. That is how the world lives. But Paul says you are not of the world. You've been called out of the world and you should live in a different manner. Well, that's Corinthians and and, uh, that's uh, what Paul said to them. But if we go a little further over and we go over into Galatians, and and by the way, I love Galatians. Anybody, any of you Bible scholars want to give me, just shout it out, what is the theme of the book, the book of Galatians? Anybody? Say it by Saved by faith, not by law. That's a doctor's definition. That means it's long and complicated. Uh, If we were to shorten it up, we might say Christian liberty. Just Christian liberty. I am saved by grace through faith and not of works. So, you know, you say, Brother William, you're hitting all them sins and making me nervous. Let's turn to something a little little more chirpy and happy. And, uh, boy, let's go to the book of Galatians. That would be a good one. Because the whole theme of the book of Galatians is that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have been made free. As a matter of fact, one of the commands that Paul gives in the book of Galatians is stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And the yoke of bondage he's talking about is the old mosaic ceremonial law. He says you're not under that ceremonial law. You don't have to sacrifice animals. Uh, You don't have to do all the things that the old ceremonial law contained. You are free in Christ. You are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Like the old hymn says, we just sang a moment ago, you know, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but but He washed it white as snow. So here in that wonderful book, the book of Galatians, where Paul talks about Christian liberty, he also begins to share with them that If you are a Christian and you are a new creation in Christ, 
then the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you should walk in the power of that Spirit. And then if you look there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, a very familiar passage. We all should be familiar with the two contrasts that he gives. He gives a contrast of of what? The works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. And remember, all this is is a spiritual checkup for people who believe that their cancer has been cured. They believe their cancer has been cured. They believe that they've been saved and born again by the Spirit of God and and they are at peace with God. And all Paul is saying is, is I I just want to make sure now, guys, yes, you're, you're walking in the freedom of the Spirit and in the liberty with which Christ has made you free. And if you're walking in that Spirit, there are going to be some symptoms of walking in the Spirit. However, if you're walking in the flesh there are also going to be some symptoms. And this is very familiar to most of you, but he says, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. Keep in mind, now who's he talking to? He's not talking to non-believers. He's not talking to people out there in the world. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who, who claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You know, I love the old classic cartoons. It seems like the older I get, the more everything I love is old. I started saying, including my wife, but she's not here, so I, 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 I won't say that. I, I heard some, well, no, I won't say that. that. Strike that. You know, when you're in court, strike that. Strike that. Mark that off. But I love those old cartoons. And you remember the old cartoons where, you know, you, you, you got, I think it was normally the Disney cartoon, and uh, maybe it's Mickey Mouse or, 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 or the, what was it, the duck's name? Or Pluto. I think Pluto was a classic one that I remember. And you know, there's an angel on one side and a devil on the other. It's coming back to me. It takes a while. But I think in the one that I remember with Pluto, the cat falls in the well, you know, and Pluto looks over the well and there's a cat drowning. Meow, meow. And the angel says, go get him, Pluto. Dive in and save him. And the devil says, let him go. He deserves to drown. You know, and there Pluto is. He, for a moment, he wants to jump in and save the cat. And then he's like, oh, I hate cats. I don't like cats. Let's just let him drown. And that's you and I. The flesh and the spirit. Remember, he's not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. He says, within you, you now have a new nature. There is the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit is teaching you and, and guiding you and leading you in a way that you should walk. However... You still have that old flesh in there. And that flesh is dragging you this way. It wants to drag you that way. And I know that within you there is the flesh and the spirit and they are warring against one another. And and maybe one day the flesh wins and the next day the spirit wins. And Paul says, I want you to walk in the spirit. Like the old cartoon, we want to tell Pluto, listen to the angel. Listen to the angel. Don't listen to the devil. And that's what Paul is telling them. Walk in the Spirit. Choose the Spirit. And then he gives us, remember, we, we want to check ourselves. You know, I mean, when you go to the doctor, he does tests, right? He checks your blood. He checks your blood pressure. He, he, he looks. He's trying to find symptoms of the real problem. 
And this is all this is, the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is within you, the fruit of the Spirit will come out. And he says, if, if the flesh is in control, if you are led by the flesh and walk according to the flesh, then these other things are going to come out. Many of them are repetitive from the other, and we won't stop and go through each one, but we'll just read through. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. And, and just to explain that, he's not talking about not washing your hands. He's talking about sexual immorality. Really, all four of those words have to do with sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You might could throw stuff like pornography and whatnot in that uncleanness and that lewdness. Idolatry, sorcery, and I will just mention on sorcery, it's interesting that the Greek word that is used there is the word that we get our word pharmacy from. Because back in those days, what drugs they did have were often used in idol worship. You know, you, you ever heard of a fella saying, you know, he, he took some pill or he, he smoked something and he saw green elephants, you know, and he saw all kinds of stuff running around. Well, that's always happened. And people would get high back in those days when they would go to these, to see visions and say, well, maybe something will speak to me. And, and they would get high. So sorcery, it, it, it talks about witchcraft and those type things, uh, but it also has drugs thrown in there as they use that in that day and age. Hatred, contentions, that just simply means to be at war with someone continually. Jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Paul says, you know, I, I don't have time to give you every one I can think of, but these are just some examples of the works of the flesh. And again, it's the same warning he gave the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians. He says, of which I tell you before, just as I have also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think the key word is practice. It is certainly possible that any Christian, true born-again Christian, could commit some of the sins that are listed here. And that happens. I'm sure we all have had an outburst of wrath, no doubt. You've gotten angry and said things and did things that you shouldn't have done. So it is certainly possible that we can commit these sins. But the key is, he says, those that practice such things, those that make a habit of living like this, and I might add, because I believe it's implied in Scripture, without any conviction. Because that is the one big difference between a saved person and a lost person. You know, the Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian and you do these things, God is going to convict you. You're going to have conviction. You, you know, the most miserable person on the face of the world is not a sinner. There's some happy sinners out there. I mean, they're, they're slap happy, having a good time. The most miserable person in the world is a true Christian who has backslidden into a life of sin. They are disobedient to God. They've gone back into the old world and their spirit is grieved. They are not a happy person. That They are captive to some sin that has them bound and they're living out there and they're like the prodigal son. They're in the pig pen, but they're not a pig. You know, everybody in the pig pen was happy except the prodigal son. Because everybody in the pig pen was a pig except the son. And you're out there with the world, but you're not happy like the world. And you think the reason is you're not happy is you're not doing enough sin. 
and you say, I'm going to do some more and get happy. But that's not the problem. The problem is you're not at home with the Father. And if you're a true prodigal son or prodigal daughter, the Lord is calling you back to Himself and hopefully uh, you will come to yourself and say, you know, what am I doing here? I need to go back to my Father's house. So, those that practice these things, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and this is a contrast, he said, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. So, Paul there, both in Corinthians and in Galatians, he gives a list of symptoms, if you will, of a heart that is not right. Now, these actions are wrong, but the actions themselves are not as much a problem as the true problem that lies within. Remember, you'll be, you'll be playing whack-a-mole if you try to pick out all these things and say, well, I, well I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. Well, you should. But the real problem is the heart. And you're never going to be where you need to be until the heart is changed. And that's where we're going to get this morning into the idea of repentance. Now, all through Scripture, and I think this is so important why we, uh, I have to check myself on this, you have to check yourself on this to make sure that what we believe is not simply what we've always been taught or what somebody told us one time, but what does the Bible say? The Bible is our source for authority. And when we talk about coming to faith in Christ, certainly I think in our time frame and the culture that we live in, uh, certainly it is all about believing in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe and you'll be saved. And that's true. That is absolutely true. But I think it is very interesting if you go back to the New Testament, you go back in Matthew, you look at the Gospels, and then you go through the epistles, how often, remember that word I shared, and you remember it last week, that is most often used to refer to a person coming to faith in Christ. Starts with an R. There were a couple of you that didn't fall asleep last Sunday. I know I saw you out there awake. Repentance. Repentance. That idea of repentance. And what does repentance mean? Repentance does not simply mean I'm going to stop doing something. Well, that's part of repentance, but that's, that's not it. Repentance at its core, means to change your mind. To change your mind. It is the idea of going in one direction. Have you ever been going somewhere? I've done this so many times. You start out going somewhere and you remember you forgot something. You know, you whip around right in the middle of the road, look, see if anything's coming. You turn around and say, oh my God, I've got to go back. And you turn around. You've changed your mind. You've got to go back in the other direction. That is repentance. It certainly involves stopping doing things, but remember, just stopping an activity or a habit is not going to change your soul. It might help your life be better, but it's not going to change your soul. And so repentance is all about turning, about changing your mind and turning. And I'm just going to give you a few passages, examples from the Bible where he talks about repentance. John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew 3, 8, he said, Bear fruits worthy of 
repentance. And then Jesus in Matthew 4, 17, it says from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting to me that he didn't just say believe. He said repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 9, 13. He says, I desire mercy. This is Jesus. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then Matthew 12, 41. He says, the men of Nineveh. This is Jesus again. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. And then Mark 1, 15. Uh, Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Their repentance is paired with belief. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 6, 12, talking about the apostles. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And then Luke 3, 8. There the Bible says... Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. This is Jesus speaking. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And then Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Luke 15, 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Luke 16, 30, remember Jesus gave the parable of the rich man that went to hell. And this is the rich man in hell speaking. He's saying, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Acts 2.38, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter in Acts 3.19, he says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out and that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then Acts eleven eighteen it says, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying that God has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Acts seventeen thirty Paul's preaching in Athens to, to the Greeks. He says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And, you know, we could go on and on. My goodness, I've just got page after page of verses that speak about repentance. But let's just skip over to Revelation in the very last book of the Bible. There in Revelation 2.5, the Lord says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. He's talking to believers here in Revelation 2.5. Repent. So you see, unbelievers can repent and believers can repent. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And Revelation 2.16, again talking to believers, he says, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And then Revelation 3.3 says, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And then, you know, perhaps the last passage, Revelation 16, 11, talking about the unrighteous, uh, the unbelievers on the earth as the judgment of God begins to fall. It says, and they were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So, you see, in Scripture there is the idea that if you want to come to Christ, 
It's not simply about believing the right thing, but you have to be willing to change your mind, to be willing to turn from the life that you currently live to a life that honors God. It's not about works, but it is about what the Bible calls bearing fruit worthy of repentance. You have to show that you mean business with God. I love the example that I have given some, some many times. I don't remember where I first heard it, but about the boy that wanted to come to faith in Christ and he was under conviction. He was on the back row during a revival meeting and he just had, had his hands on the, you know, on the pew and he just everybody could tell he was under conviction and the guy standing beside him, he said, uh, don't you want to go down? He said, no, no, no. He said, he said I, I, I can't, I can't. And so he kept coming back night after night and he was under, under conviction, under, under conviction, but he would never come down. You know, finally, uh, the last night, every night, he would, he would ask the preacher, he said, well, can I, can I just do it right here? I just, I'm too scared to go down. I, I, I'm embarrassed to go down. I, I don't want to go down. He said, well, no, no, you've got to come down. You've got to come down. Well, finally, the last night, he was so under conviction, he said, I, he said I, I've got I've to make this right. I've got to get right with God. He said, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll tell anybody. He said, well, you don't have to. You can do it right there. And the point being, my friend, unless you're willing to give away everything. Remember what Jesus told the rich man? You know, he says, well, what do I do to inherit eternal life? It's an odd statement for Jesus to make, right? It seems like he's putting conditions on salvation. But see, Jesus knew the man's heart. And remember what he told the man? He said, go sell everything you've got and come follow me. And the man, the Bible says, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, he was not willing, and you think about what Jesus said, unless you're willing to turn your back on your family, to turn your back on everything and follow me, you're not worthy of me. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But what the Bible is telling us, that is a picture of true repentance where a person like that boy under conviction, he wasn't ready to abandon his pride. He wasn't ready uh, to be embarrassed in front of his friends. He didn't want to be made fun of. And so he said, well, can I just take the cheap way out? Can I just pray a little prayer right here and, and kind of make this guilt go away? But he said, no, no. You've got to be willing to turn it all loose. You've got to be willing to let it go. And finally, when he was ready to let it all go, then he could do it anywhere. It didn't matter. There was no, no, no limit. You see, that is what Jesus meant when he told the man, go sell everything you've got and come follow me. Is that a condition to follow Christ? You have to sell everything. No, of course not. But what you have to be willing to do when you come to Jesus, you realize, I don't own anything anymore. My life, what did Paul say? It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live under the Son of God. So that idea of repentance, that idea of coming to faith in Christ, of having our sins cleansed, is not about stopping habits. It's about changing our heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus is the Lord of our life. He's the Lord of our heart. And when He is in that position... It doesn't matter what sin you think has you bound. It will not have you bound, my friend, if your heart is fully focused on Jesus. You think about a husband and a wife. How can a, how can a husband be faithful to his wife? Well, he can, he can have a lot of hard rules, can't, can't he? You know, I'll never be in the presence of another woman. That'll work. You will be faithful to your wife if you're never in the presence of another woman. And some rules are good. You know, Billy Graham, one of the ways that, that, that he kept purity in his ministry, he had never allowed himself to be alone uh, with, with a woman in a, in a compromising situation where he might be tempted 
to sin. But just simply putting rules around your life is not going to keep you from uh, cheating on your wife. You know the only thing that's going to keep you from cheating on your wife? And that is if you love your wife. If you truly love your wife and you are committed to your wife, then the most beautiful woman in the world could walk by and you're not going to cheat on your wife. Why? Because that's an ugly woman you're not attracted to or no. Because there's a greater attraction and a greater commitment and that is to your wife. And that's the whole idea of following Christ. Jesus is saying, you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to totally commit to me. And you totally embrace me as your Lord. And it's your love for Jesus. It is walking in the Spirit that keeps you free from the works of the flesh. It is not your self-control or your willpower or anything else. It is the Spirit of God. Remember, I've often said, and I believe this with all my heart, I, I believe it more than I used to believe it, if that's possible. That you cannot live the Christian life by your willpower. I don't care how strong you think you are. I don't care how righteous you think you are, how religious you think you are. The only way you can live the Christian life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You must have the Holy Spirit. The Christian walk is a supernatural walk. And you must have the power of the Holy Spirit to let you overcome sin. Well, very quickly, I'm, I'm going I'm to finish up here in James. You know, James is where we go to have a good checkup. If Galatians is Christian liberty, James is Christian reality. Let, let, let's look where the rubber meets the road. And in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister, and he gives an example here, because that, that, that question, can faith save him, that's, if we were to ask that in Sunday school, you know, we might would say, well, yeah, faith, we're saved by, by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Yes, faith can save. But, but James is going to give an example. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is giving us a checkup here. We're having a medical checkup, a spiritual checkup. He said, I know all you say, well, I, I believe in God. I have faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I believe all these things. He said, well, that's, that's good. But does that make you a new creation? Does that save you? He said, let me give you an example. A person's hungry and naked. And you say... I want you to have a warm, have a good night's rest tonight. Have a good, good sleep. I want you to be warm. I hope you just, you just feel at peace tonight. And I want you to be full and go to bed full. But you don't give them a blanket. You don't give them anything. He said, what did that accomplish? The fact that you said you wanted them to be okay tonight. It was worthless. He said, by the same way, if you say you believe in Jesus, but your life is not changed, that's a worthless confession. It's meaningless. And he goes on and gives another example. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God. Congratulations. Even the devils believe and tremble. Boy, that would have been a good line, wasn't it? I, I don't know if he wrote that or he said it, but he said, you know, so you believe? Oh yeah, we believe. 
expecting to get a compliment. He said, congratulations, you're in good company. Even the demons believe. The demons in hell believe in God. You've got to have something more than an intellectual agreement that there's a God. You must have a heart faith. Repentance. A change of mind. That I believe in God to the point that I give myself to Him. I'll give this example many times, but it's the old example of the guy on the tightrope crossing the Niagara Falls. You remember me giving it? You know, where the guy crosses the falls and he walks back in two and there's a big crowd there and, and he says, you know, they see him walk and come back and just cheer. And then he gets on a bicycle and he rides a bicycle. How many of you think I can take this bicycle and ride it across? They cheer. Oh yeah, we think you can. He rides a bicycle. He said, how many, many of you think I can get on this little unicycle with one wheel? They said, oh yeah, we believe you can. He does it. He said, okay, put a basket on the bicycle. He said, how many of you believe I can take a person and, and take them across? He said, we believe, yes. He said, I need a volunteer. Every head went down. <laughs> Best example I've ever heard on the difference between regular, quote, faith, I believe in God, and saving faith. You ask the question, do you believe in Jesus? Well, the number's going down quickly in America. But there's still probably, I'd say, at least upwards of 80, maybe 90% of people that would say they believe in Jesus. Maybe, maybe 75% if you say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, perhaps? A lot of people. But how many people have, have gotten in the wheelbarrow or, or the basket of the bicycle and said, I'm going to live for Jesus. I believe so much that He's the Son of God that I'm going to find out everything I can about Him and I commit my whole life to Him, the one life that I have, I'm going to give it to Jesus and live my life for Him, turning my back on everything else and living for Him. That number is significantly lower than the people who say, I believe. And that's what James is saying. James is not minimizing faith. You, you must have faith. But James is saying, if you've got a faith, just like Paul said in Corinthians, and even in Galatians, that great book on Christian liberty, even in that book, Paul is saying, if you've got a, a faith, but yet there is no change in your life that, that goes along with that faith, then my friend, you have a problem. You are sick. You've not been made well. Yes, we all make mistakes. We all commit sins. But if that is your lifestyle, Paul is saying you are not well, my friend. Well, James goes on. He says, But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect, and the Scripture was fulfilled, which said... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Now I want to close with this. If you take a look at Scripture... There are examples of people who had perfect outward works, but they were dead on the inside. We know the examples of those, don't we? The Pharisees. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said, you're like a sepulcher. You're like a grave. It's beautiful and white and polished on the outside, but if you roll the stone away, what is there but dead men's bones? You see, they were following all of the outward rules, but their heart was dark. And then there is the example of those who um, 
yet perhaps they had a, a faith. They had a faith in God, but they struggled, if you will, uh, with living out that faith. You know, as James mentioned about having that, that belief in God, they claimed to believe in God, but their life was full of wickedness. And James is saying, listen, if you claim that you've got faith in God, but your life doesn't back up that faith, then my friend, you have a problem. Last passage I'm going to read, 1 John 1, 5. There John says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. What I want to leave with you today, my friends, is sin separates us from God. We are sinners on the inside and that sin is is worked out by the works that we do. Jesus saves us from the inside out. We come to Him in faith and repentance. When you come to Jesus, you come to Him and you surrender all to Him. Just as you are. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to stop doing anything you're doing. You come to Him first. But you come to Him submitted. And saying, Lord, like that boy I gave the example. I don't care what it costs, what I have to stop doing, who hears about it. I'm coming to you and I'm surrendering my life to you. That's saving faith. That's repentance. That's coming to Christ, looking to Him for righteousness, looking to Him to cleanse you from all that is unpleasing. And then you and I that have the testimony of being a Christian, we should look at ourselves. And as I said, we all do things. We all commit sins. But as John, as John said, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive it. When we get in trouble, it's when we deny that we have sin. We say, well, I, you know, I, I don't do anything wrong. We all do things wrong. So my friend, if you're here today, sin is real. It is a condition... It is also actions that we do that are reflective of that condition. There's only one remedy for sin, and that's Jesus. That's why we have a cross in our church. Because the cross is the remedy for every sin that I've ever committed, every sin you've ever committed. We come to Him, we confess our sin, we yield to Him, and the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. You're here today, you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, that saving faith like I talked about, that act of repentance, of turning from an old life, turning, changing your mind and coming to Him, I'll be glad to pray with you this morning. Or maybe you just want to come pray about a burden that's on your heart. You obey the Holy Spirit as we sing.